Hey friends, welcome to episode five, holy cow, of the I Draw Dead People podcast. This is your terminally curious host, Megan, and I have to tell you, blue-eyed people, you're going to want to stick around. everyone. So I wanted to lead off with a little story of something that happened to me this week, which is art related and also kind of feels related. Uh, and I I learned something. So I thought I would share. It was posting about my show, which starts next Friday, by the way. So if you're local, um, I have a show that's going to kick off on Friday, November 5th at the Stone and Spoon Gallery here in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And the opening is from 5 to 8, and I will be there, and I'd love to see you. Um, it's all eye art. So if you've ever wanted to see some of my eye art in person, or we haven't seen each other in a while and you want to say hi, I would love to have you there. And the show will run through January, or beginning of January. So anyway, um, I was posting about it, you know, with at like a good social media human, and um, tagged a few local groups that art groups that I thought, you know, oh, hey, let's spread the love, you know, like, let's talk about, let's interact as, you know, this smallish art community, you know, just no other motivation. I wasn't asking for a plug, nothing like that, just doing the thing. And um, one of the groups appeared to get angry at the fact that I did this and kind of jumped on me in a way to say that other people were more deserving of support. I'm assuming the end of that sentence was, than I am. Um, They didn't explicitly say that, but they just kept repeating things about um, other marginalized groups needing support, which I 100% agree with, by the way, and is very close to my heart, which is part of what made this even more painful. So it kind of ruined my day. I... uh, did my day job, of course, but I was very much under a blanket, like, thinking about my life and wondering why this had happened. But at the same time, I started to get little, like, inklings that perhaps this has nothing to do with me. And part of the fact that I can do this, I give full credit to not only my husband, but also my therapist. <laughs> um, but also, you know, me, because I am putting it into practice, so I'll give myself some credit as well. However, so what I did was I was just like, something doesn't sit right. Like this person being as hostile as they were, um, ran seemingly randomly. I, as far as I know, don't know this person. Uh, it turns out we run in a lot of the same circles. So who can say they may be aware of me. I don't know who they are. Um, so I was really, really thrown a curveball. But I just decided, like, maybe this person or maybe this group is just going through a hard time and it doesn't have anything to do with me. So I, yeah, I just decided that was the position I was going to take. Just give them some grace and say, okay, it's not to do with me. I'm not doing anything wrong. I just, my interaction hit wrong with them. And so... I processed it and everything is fine now. Um, 
And I just wanted to say, you know, if you're ever faced with something like this, like, I think a lot of us just say, oh, it's a hater. You know, that's a, you know, pithy way to say it in our culture anymore. And sure, that can be the case. But I kind of advocate for a little more contemplation on it because it just ends up better in the long run. Just give people grace, you know, provided they're not actively hurting you. You know, if they're toxic and actively trying to cause you harm, that's a completely different situation. But a one-off thing like this, it's, it's just better, I think, to be compassionate and to give people grace. So that's kind of what I did. I just wanted to remind everybody that times are just freaking hard for all of us and artists in particular. And while I stand firmly on the foundation of helping each other out and lifting each other up and amplifying, not everybody is in that space. And I forget that because, you know, we're all so isolated and I'm pretty much at home all the time and my human interactions are mostly online. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Also, can we promise each other something? I don't know about you guys, but I tend to put a lot on my plate and then I let it sit. I procrastinate. And it gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And then one day I will take the time to finish whatever the project is. And it will literally take me a half an hour. And then the relief I feel is astronomical. And I, and I think, why didn't I just do this sooner, right? And there's so much research out there about procrastination and I'm not going there, but I just wanted to say, can we all just do what we need to do or have more of an intentional practice around this? Because I am very overwhelmed right now. And, but I know from previous experience that if I would just get down to it, I'd be so much better. (laughs) So I'm trying to do a little bit more of that today. My Fridays seem to be those days. So anyway, yeah, I just wanted to talk about that and see if we can make a promise to each other to to do this or at least try to be a little bit better about it. I think some of it can't be helped and some of us are just like this and it's just the way we're going to be. So last week I whoa, chair. So last week I told you a little bit about what it's like to draw from the cadaver and I thought this week I would tell you a little bit more about what it is like to be an illustrator in the OR. So I started doing OR drawing in graduate school. We had a class called Surgical Illustration. So we would look at the OR schedule and pick a surgery we wanted to go observe. And we would go start observing surgeries. And But before we could do that, we were trained in how to exist in an OR. You know, what to touch, what not to touch, what to wear what to, how to act, because it's a very regimented, very specific, very safe, safe, safe space, as you might imagine. Now, I had never been in an OR before this class, so this was all very, very new to me. And with, as with a lot of things around medical illustration, I was very pious about it almost. You know, I saw the OR and I still feel to this day as a very 
hallowed, sacred space. And I talked a little bit in the same terms about cadaver dissection, you know, having this reverence for the cadaver and the gift that's been given. And it's a similar feeling for the OR, uh, with a huge caveat that there's a living, there are living humans in the space, and one of them is in a very vulnerable situation, getting surgery. So you are an artist in this space, you have a sketchbook, you have things to write with. Usually, I always usually just take pencils. Um, sometimes I will have a, like like with the cadaver, I will have a red and blue uh, colored pencil for blood vessels. But other than that, usually it's just a pencil. And so I would take those things into the OR. You are not allowed an eraser. And if you spend a second thinking about why that might be, it's probably kind of obvious, but I'll tell you anyway. Uh, you know from using pencils since you were a little kid that when you erase something, little bits of eraser become dislodged from the eraser, the main eraser, am I correct? Now, usually you just swipe those away with your hand or you blow them away with your lips or something like that. No big deal. Uh, you can't do that in an OR. You are standing quite close to the surgical field so that you can see usually on some sort of raised platform, a stool or something. And if you were to blow eraser bits into here, can you guess where I'm going with this? If you were to blow eraser bits anywhere near the patient and the sterile field, what's called the sterile field, that would be very bad. So no, they just don't allow erasers, which is fine which is fine. You don't need an eraser. You just cross things out and you move on. That's why you have a big old sketchbook. So you can just start a drawing over and keep going. And just like with the cadaver drawing, um, you take a lot of notes in the OR. So you're making notes about all kinds of things. And if you hear like the name of a tool or the name of a vessel or whatever that you're like, oh, I didn't realize that's what that was. Or I need to make sure I make note of that. Then you write that down. So my surgery sketchbooks are a bit of a mess. <laughs> they don't look, they're not, they're not detailed at all. They're not fancy because you're in there to get a solid sense of what is happening during a specific surgery. And in fact, an unexpected skill set really applies well to this scenario, which is figure drawing, which I did a ton of in undergrad. Well, I'm live drawing from the model, and you may have done that as well. And, you know, when they ask you to do really fast sketches, like real quick poses, you learn to represent the figure in very few lines, like to get the overall feeling of whatever you're looking at very, very quickly. And this comes in very handy in OR sketching. You are seeing hands moving, instruments moving, at a rapid pace. And so you need to capture the essence of what you're looking at very quickly. And figure drawing just happens to be the skill that I found best in the OR unexpectedly. And so when you're learning this skill, you go to the same surgery many times, you know, so that you can be more and more and more familiar with the different steps that are most important in a given surgery. Uh, so, for example, I recall going to see a mitral valve repair at Hopkins many times, and that's a very complicated surgery. 
and it contains very, very fancy specialized instrumentation, as you might imagine, not to mention the, you know, prosthetic valve itself. And there are a lot of sutures and a lot of different bits that you have to get your brain around in order to understand what you're watching. So you go to the surgery, you see it, you start sketching, you start making notes, but you have to keep your expectations low because you don't really, you may, you, you've, you've read about the surgery before you go in there, but seeing it is just a completely different situation. And sometimes you don't get the right view and there's a lot going on. And if you're, especially if you're nervous at all, which is totally normal, uh, you might miss some things. So you need to see it multiple times. And then, you know, once you have done that, at some point you're going to meet with the surgeon or the resident or someone who has requested these drawings from you. And then they will take a look at what you've got and then they will talk you through what they need and then give you feedback on your work. And then you do this back and forth of drawing and refining and drawing and refining until you get to the final work which might be a single illustration of one step that is very important to whatever they're writing about or presenting about, or it might be a stepwise series of illustrations where you're actually explaining the entire surgery. So I've done, um, I don't, I can't count how many of these (laughs) illustrations I've done, but it is one of my very, very favorite types of drawing. Couple anecdotes, well, one anecdote in particular, I was standing behind a surgeon drawing and, you know, I mentioned in passing the sterile field, which you may know about. It's the parts of the OR that are free of any kind of contagion. So they've made very, very sure that nothing in that area will make the patient sick. So... When you see all those all those um, doctors and nurses and everyone scrubbing in for a procedure, they are scrubbing in so that they will be as germ-free, <laughs> that's very oversimplified, but as bug-free as they can be before they start the surgery. And so there's an entire area that's marked off in every surgery that is considered sterile. And if you are not scrubbed in, you are not sterile, even if you're wearing scrubs, and you cannot touch anything that's in that area. And if you do, you have to alert the staff that you have, and then they will correct your error. So if you have any kind of issues with with a guilt complex like I do, having this happen is awful. <laughs> and it happened to me. I brushed the back of the surgeon. I was standing behind the surgeon on a stool, And I kind of moved a little bit, shifted a little bit, and I touched his back. The likelihood that that would impact the patient is probably extremely low, but you still have to inform the surgeon that it happened or inform the team. And I did. I had to tell them, and they had to stop the surgery. Oh my God, mortified. Ugh, stop the surgery so that the surgeon could step away and have his gown replaced by the nursing staff. And I just felt like the tiniest, smallest ant that deserved to be crushed underfoot because of what I'd done. So it's, I've never, I will never ever forget that moment. 
Oh my God. Can you imagine? No, it was, it was bad. It was bad. Nothing happened, you know, not, no impact to the patient or anything. Just me standing there with my sketchbook clutched to my chest going, um, excuse me? <laughs> As like a 25 year old, just being like, hello, very smart people. I have made a grave error and you must fix it now for the greater good. And I'm going to just, you know, shirk away out the door and act like you've never met me before and will always avoid you and never make eye contact and goodbye. Yeah. So now I'm uh, in another department doing illustration for neurosurgery and it's incredible because my first day on the job, I got to go to a brain tumor surgery and see brains on my first day. And brains are beautiful. Holy moly. The brain and spinal cord are so colorful and so complex and just artistically a dream, I must say. So I remember saying to the surgeon who took me to the OR that day, I was like, best first day ever. He was, and he laughed at me. <laughs> I love surgeons. I really do. Um, <laughs> at least the surgeons I work with, just the best. So... <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, another thing, another anecdote I can tell you from now my professional work with the neurosurgeons is that sometimes the patients are awake, which is mind-blowing because I never knew that during brain surgery they can wake you up. And it makes complete sense, especially if they're working in areas regarding speech or other sensitive things. There are ways to work with the patient during surgery to preserve these very, very important functions for quality of life, which is incredible. And I didn't know that until I was in a surgery once and observing and got to witness it firsthand. Patient did not ask who I was. <laughs> Thank God. Oh, I'm the artist in the room. They're like, what? There's an artist in the room? Yes, and it is me. So yeah, again, in medical illustration, uh, it's a lot of stuff where pe the average person goes, what now? What's happening? This is a thing that exists in the universe? And you're like, yes, yes it does. And hello, very nice to meet you. So now I'm really excited to talk about the incredible world of iris color. I just, I went down a rabbit hole revisiting some topics I'd learned previously about the eye because if you know me, you know I'm I obsessed. In fact, I think I might have a book in me. I'm not sure. I've just I've started playing around with that idea, and that's how kind of how this happened. So I had learned this a while ago, and I'd kind of forgotten about it. And it's not something that has made its way too much into popular media. So you might not know this. If you know this, awesome. Welcome to the club. And now you, the rest of you are going to know this too. So I'm going to explain iris color, which is, you know, what we call the color of the eye. Um, at kind of a high level, one, because it gets really complicated. And two, because it gets so complicated that I'm a little unsure. And instead of kind of riffing and spreading kind of not quite accurate information, I'd rather you know, stick to the parts that I absolutely know for sure. So 
And, and as with all science, you know, they're constantly learning new things. So what we know now might not be entirely accurate as more research is done. So anyway, getting to the point, the human iris really only contains one pigment. And that pigment is melanin, which you may have heard of before, because that's what gives folks their skin color like the variation of skin color that we see. And that's the only pigment that's available in the eye, in cells within the eye. Um, There are two different types, but that's the only one. And so melanin is responsible for the dark hues. Hue is another word for color in art speak, by the way, if you did not know. And so that's brown, you know, any kind of variation on brown, black, yellow-ish. So as you know from looking around at your fellow humans, irises come in almost an unlimited number of varieties, right? And that's part of why I love drawing the eye and studying the eye is just, it's an unbelievable variety. And a lot of that has to do with how complex the iris's architecture is. And when I say that, I mean the structure of it. You know, what are the tissues and different things that make up the iris to give it its shape and then you know as a result its color so if the eye only has brown how do we get to blue how do we get to green and all the shades in between well i'm here to tell you that there is no blue or green pigment in the eye in the iris it doesn't exist so what you're really seeing is how light reflects off of the different structures that make up the iris. Because the iris is made up of all kinds of structures like collagen fibers, which you've probably heard of before, collagen, that make, you know, if you look in an iris, you see all the little strandy bits. So it's collagen fibers. There are cells in there. There are capillaries in your iris. So blood vessels in your iris. There are nerves. And so light bouncing around within that space creates the blue light. It's similar to how we see the sky as blue, but you know, or maybe you don't, but now you will, (laughs) that the sky doesn't contain blue pigment. It doesn't make it blue. You know, it's not like taking blue watercolor and putting it on a piece of paper. The blue is a reflection and a refraction of light against particles up there in the sky. So that's how we get blue. Green eyes are a combination of not only this light, but also some of the pigment usually. Um, Oftentimes some of the yellow pigment, you know, yellow and blue makes green kind of thing. So I think that that is incredible. So if you've ever noticed that blue eyes or light colored eyes kind of can change color, can change hue in different light, uh, a lot of that has to do with this. So surprise. (laughs) It's kind of nuts to me. It's nuts. Like I thought I didn't know this forever. And I was just like, oh, blue eyes are blue. There's some something in there that makes them blue. No, not really. It's light. As with a lot of things, light is light and color as a topic is pretty mind blowing. So isn't the body cool? I freaking love it. Thanks for listening, everybody. As usual, come follow me on social media. Twitter, 
Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. Megan Foldenauer. You can usually search me by name and you will find me. There is one other Megan Foldenauer and she lives in Michigan as well, which is amazing and incredible and a story for another time. Anyway, please come follow me. And if you are so inclined, I would absolutely love it if you could rate and review me on Apple or Spotify, which is where my this podcast exists. It does a whole heck of a lot to get my podcast out to more people in the world, which is my goal. So please do that, and I will love you forever. <laughs> and as a reminder, I have an art show next week that starts next week and runs to the beginning of January here in Ypsilanti, Michigan at the Stone and Spoon Gallery, and it will be all of my eyeball art (laughs) uh, from the last couple decades. There may even be some high school drawings, just as a teaser. Can you believe it? Uh, Yeah, and I would love to see you there. And if you go and I'm not there, please like take some pics or send me a note or something so that I can see what you're doing and what you're up to because nothing makes me happier than knowing that my art is being seen by people and having an impact on their lives. So I really appreciate all of you and I'll talk to you next week.